Hello, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Inner Badass with Tom and Bridget. I'm your co-host, Tom, and Bridget is along here. You have to say hi, Bridget. <laughs> hello. <as> well. <laughs> hi, hi, Bridget. And hello, John. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on our podcast today. It's a pleasure. It's lovely to be here. Excellent. Excellent. So my first question, John, what do you do? That's a nice, simple question, and if only there was a simple answer. Um, my, let's talk about what I, where I come from. That'll be a good start. Uh, my background is in performance. Wasn't trained in performance. I was never trained as an actor. I did an English literature degree because I came from basically a working-class family. My parents wouldn't have me go into acting. They wanted me to have a secure income of some kind but I became an actor anyway from being an actor I moved into extremely experimental forms of theatre but I also moved into uh, very community and youth orientated forms of theatre I became a director uh, I started to work from theatre into dance improvisation circus anything to do with the body because that was always my interest, the integration of body and mind. I became a director, a teacher, a performer, more and more interested in improvisation as, a, as an art form, increasingly fascinated with ensemble. What is that magic sense of connectedness between performers when they're really flying where you know you get it in music you get it in in dance and theater where suddenly it's so much more than the individual performances what is that what is ensemble that began to really fascinate me for a while I became an academic because I wanted to really dig into understanding some of the I, I knew I was teaching well, but I didn't quite understand what I was teaching. So I became an academic to research that for a while. I ran a master's degree for a few years at a British university. Then, because I can't stand committees or email, I left being an academic, went back to being a freelance artist and worked as a director, performer, teacher all over the world, specializing in psychophysical training of individuals within ensemble, which sounds a bit of a mouthful. What it really means is looking at how we train the mind and the body simultaneously and enable people to do the inner work necessary to really liberate themselves while also being in connection with other performers and with their audiences. It all brought me to a way of approaching all of my work called Self with Others, which is a framework of thinking and acting, not acting as in theatre, but just acting as in living. Self with Others is a framework of thinking, which is now the basis of all the work I do, which is coaching, mentoring, writing, consulting with business, training other people in various forms. My focus now being self with others how to train people and share with people the deep level knowledge that artists and performers have which is not just the straightforward knowledge of how to entertain although there's nothing wrong with entertaining 
it's the same knowledge that artists have had going back through millennia the ability to hold stories, to communicate, to connect with those parts of what it is to be human that we forget, especially in this culture, the imagination, passion, fantasy, nature, the nature of being this extraordinary person in an extraordinary world, in an extraordinary universe. And we take it all for granted. And artists have to go back and reconnect with that and learn how to communicate that and and relight that fire in other people and that's you know something i now do increasingly not with artists but with others because i think it's essential in this world of of crisis mental health crisis ecological crisis and all of the rest of it so long answer to a very simple question i'll try to keep them simpler in few but a beautiful, beautiful answer, John, is when, when you say you're working with others now also, does that mean a, a normal human being like me? Yeah, well, um, I, well I, normal is, well, <laughs> you can put that into perspective, right? But <laughs> well, I'm going to put, I'm, I want to put that into perspective because you Thank see you. people, people talk about, particularly politicians have a habit of saying, I want to connect with ordinary people. I've never met an ordinary person. Yeah. I've never met anyone who is not extraordinary. Extraordinary is the normal. We are all extraordinary. The, the, one of the, my main uh, passions and focuses these days is to help people recognize and value the ways in which they are extraordinary. And there's a paradox here. Being extraordinary doesn't make you special because we're all extraordinary but we own our extraordinariness, our uniqueness, and that's a gift we give to the world. So yes, I don't really work very much with artists these days because I've done 30 years of that, you know, and it's a beautiful journey that I've, and a privilege that I've had to travel that journey. But my work now that I don't really want to travel very much anymore is with those people who are hungry for change, hungry for growth, and with those people who are in positions to share transformation with others. I work with educators, teachers, workshop leaders, whatever, but also people who run businesses, coaches who coach other people, and so on and so forth. I'm interested in trying to get as many people as possible to to reconnect with the fact that we are all perfectly ordinary and to be perfectly ordinary is to be extraordinary i mean it's it's an amazing thing to be a living human being and we put so many problems in our way and there are ways techniques and you know strategies of thinking that can leave us empowered but also humble in the face of the extraordinary nature of the world and the other people that we we encounter every day how do you teach that like the concept i i i i'm i'm like yes i'm i'm there uh, i want to know more but i'm like it'd be like trying to teach the meaning of life to someone it, or or am i like overcomplicating it no no you're not I, the you can't teach 
anything to anyone unless they're ready to learn it. Of this, I'm convinced. So in trying to you know, communicate self with others as a, a way of thinking, a way of being, all I'm really doing is trying to say things and offer techniques of you know, engaging with the world that help people realize what they already know. You know, you when you say to somebody, let's spend a little bit of time engaging with the senses or let's put in place a principle of thinking, which will enable your thinking to become a little bit more more focused and a little less distracted. Generally, their response is, oh, of course, of course. Uh, there's eight principles of presence in my work. One of the principles of presence is pay attention to things you can do something about. Now, as soon as you say that, people go, yeah, it's obvious. And you go, yeah, of course it's obvious. But we don't do it. So I'm not trying to, nothing in what I do is, is earth-shattering insights into the nature of the universe. What it is, is you remind people of the things that they already know but have forgotten. And that's partly on an individual level, as in, you know, children know how to play and adults forget how to play. Children have confidence and adults lose confidence and so on. But it's also on a sort of a level of a species. We forget that we're animals. We forget that we are living organisms that thrive by interconnection with our ecosystem. You know, but humans cut themselves off from nature. They put nature in nature reserves as if we're not nature. We are nature. And when we can reconnect with bodies, senses, the natural world, with other people, when we can actually connect, we realize how much we have lost within this idea of competitive, contemporary urban humanity. So I'm not, I'm not really teaching things. I'm saying to people, the truths you're looking for are in you. They're all there. All of your, all of your needs, you know, your, the things that you need mentally, you've got them. You were born with them. And so the most important you know, way of maybe thinking about this is that the heart of my work is presence. You know, everything grows from presence. Good communication grows from presence. Communication, uh, confidence grows from presence. Creativity grows from presence. Everything important grows from presence. And most problems can be solved by returning to presence. So you have to define what presence is. Okay, what's presence? If there was a loud noise now, we would all be very present. Suddenly, you know, explosion you go what no we're all present if there's a smell of gas now you would certainly be very present presence is your natural state look out of the window birds are present dogs we just heard one barking dogs yes. are present everything is present except humans because we distract ourselves constantly a definition of presence is presence is not being distracted 
In other words, to achieve presence, do less. Now, this is a guiding principle for all of that work, all of this work, to be able to say to people, do less, complicate less, hold fewer tensions in your muscles, allow yourself to become present and you will find that you are reconnecting. I don't teach people how to connect with the world. I teach people how to stop stopping themselves from connecting with the world. So in some ways, yes, you know, Thomas, you say it sounds really complicated in some ways, but also no, it's just saying, let's put down all the stuff we don't need and we will find we have everything we need. How would you attempt to mesh that with these type A CEO, every second of every day scheduled, mm -hmm. like go crush it, work 90, like, t for example, Tom Billy, 93 hours a week of, of work type, like they're laser focused, but are, are they truly present in, in like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I go back to what I said a little while ago, you can't teach anything to anyone unless they're ready to learn. If a 93-hour-a-week laser-focused CEO thinks she or he's doing okay, I've got nothing to teach them. They're, 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 you know, I may have to work with the people they are driving to distraction by their behaviors. I may have to work with the employees whose mental health is being disintegrated because their CEO is a psychopath. We can all think of several kind of uh, large corporations which are currently struggling under the sudden arrival of psychopathic CEOs. But the CEO themselves might well be saying, I've got, you've got nothing to teach me. I'm doing fine. And my answer to that is good. If you're doing fine, you're doing fine. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to, it's not my job to tell anyone else how to live their life. If the CEO who's working 93 hours a week is coming to me and saying, wow, I feel like I'm doing fine, but inside I feel fundamentally empty, or I think I'm only working this hard because I am terrified of stopping and looking in the mirror, or even I don't think that what I'm doing is human, then they have told me that they need something, that they're ready to learn. And then the change process can happen. Well, no, yeah, it's not my job to change somebody who doesn't want to change. That That's some kind of messianic missionary who goes around trying to think they know more than everyone else. I don't know more than anyone else. I do know that I know a lot about the, how the human system works. And people who are ready and wanting to change, I have the tools and techniques for many of them that, that will help. But that's not, it's not everybody because we're all different. When someone who is really open and willing to learn and wants a change, wants a reconnection, how do you start? Well, there's, there's you know, of course, many answers to that. And it depends on the context and so on that one's in. From, from my perspective as a trainer, coach, mentor, I start 
by doing as little as possible and listening as much as possible. You know, so th that's my process is to assume that I know absolutely nothing and to be as present as I can with the person or the group that I'm working with to try to absorb as much, as much information as possible. That's my process. Now, the process for the person who is perhaps wanting to go through personal or professional change, there are ways of observing themselves which we can develop. Like, are you aware of what's happening in your body? Now, some people will go, yeah, I'm actually very connected with my body. So that might not be so important. Another way is, are you aware of the paradigms through which you are observing the world? The self stories you tell yourself. Some people might go, yes. Some people might go, oh, no, actually, okay, that's interesting. And I wouldn't ask those questions quite so boldly. You know, we would we would get there through through conversations or whatever. But you, mm -hmm. might, you might end up going, okay, I think this is something. Let's take a look at the self stories. Let's take a look at psychophysical connectedness with one's own body. We might say, how disciplined is your mind in remaining focused? Should we do some practical work on developing your ability to be present? In other words, there is a suite of tools that I work with, a, a series of strategies or tools which look into three areas. One is inner work. What is the connectedness you have with yourself? Second is communication work and awareness of others. And the third is systemic work. What is the nature of the system that you are engaging in? Uh, the power relationships, the assumptions, the hierarchies, who gets to speak? And that can be both internal and external. What parts of yourself are you allowing yourself to listen to and what parts of yourself are you not allowing yourself to listen to? So we look at self, inner work, others, which is communication, interpersonal work, and we look at with which is systemic work so i don't have a process as in session one we do this and session two we do that i have a it's why i call self with others a framework i have a framework of perspectives based on you know, diverse areas of research and within that framework, specific techniques so that whatever someone brings to me, I can say, what I'm hearing is this. Let's go down this roadway a little bit, this pathway a little bit and see where that gets us. And then when we've gone somewhere down that pathway, something else will open up and I'll say, what if we go down this pathway a bit? So. I don't, I don't, you know, disapprove of, but I can't adhere to a strict step-by-step -step process because what someone's ready to learn is different in each person's case and their, their context is different, their needs are different. So what it feels to me is that I need to bring techniques, insights, understandings not beliefs self with others is not a belief system 
It is all based on the experiences I've had in training and teaching backed up by research from other areas such as uh, psychology, uh, psychophysicality, neuroscience, uh, ecological awareness. So there's a whole set of research domains. I bring all of that and use that as a mirror to reflect people back to themselves. And then the intention is that people give themselves permission to learn what they're ready to learn. Just so often the big thing, people know what they need to do, but they don't give themselves permission to do it. I can't give them permission. I can give them insight, encouragement, and inspiration. To do that, and for it to mean something, I have to do it from a perspective that is rigorously thought out and researched and is based in my own lived experience. Although I can teach that now to other people, and it seems to be very powerful as a framework of thinking for the people I teach it to as well. Who, who do you teach it to? I mean, not names, but like... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, see, the books are right. The latest one, that one, Presence, is the first one I've written specifically for non-performers, or the one I wrote before that, How to Teach Performance, is for artists and teachers who run performance workshops. They are based in self with others. They, they emerge from that framework. I've recently started, and I'm just running a beta test with various coaches and educators from around the world. I'm running a beta test at the moment. I've started trying to teach the framework of self with others itself. You know, the 11 areas it comes from, 11 areas of research it grows out of, and so on and so forth. That seems to be going really well. I'm getting, I've done the first module, which is 20 emails about self with others. We're now into the second module, which is 20 emails about uh, practical approaches to becoming more present. Uh, I'm working with the person who suggested doing this teaching process to roll this out towards business people, towards specific communities. He's interested in working with veterans. He's interested in working with uh, uh, sports coaches, which is quite an interesting one for me because that's very much not my world. Um, so things are rolling out at the moment as I try to find how to teach this work not in the practical space of the studio but through language and I've been doing I've been writing books about that as well which you know feel feel to me good it's getting much stronger responses than I expected and much less confusion. I thought people go, this is too difficult. I don't understand this. People are sort of going, no, this all this all makes sense. It all hangs together. So, you know, the beta test is is there. The full rollout, I hope, will be over the next four months for that. We're still not quite sure how to roll it out, but we're looking at it. So you're proverbial, proverbially and actually literally writing the textbook on this to teach it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, See, it's fascinating, isn't it? Who is any of us ever originating anything? You see, self with others as an approach, it's it's 
the name I gave what I do because it was about actors working with other actors, the self with others. It was simple. And it's based on principles of presence because presence is an actor's key tool and dancer's key tool. And I used to give people little booklets when I taught them um, containing just a few key things about self with others. One day I'd been teaching a workshop in India and uh, there'd been an older guy, an old, he was my age. I was in my sort of late forties at that point. And he was a very, a very advanced yogi. He'd been doing yoga a lot for, you know, 30 years. And we went out for a drink afterwards after the workshop. And I sort of, he picked up that little book that I gave people. And he said, just what I need, a white man telling me how to do yoga. And I went, this has got nothing to do with yoga. He said, yeah, these are the principles of yoga. You put them in a really? different language of the principles of yoga. And I went, oh, wow, okay, because I had no relatively little. I knew, I still don't know much about yoga. But then a few years later, about four years ago, I was working in China. And this was work, teaching some of this work to very senior business people and industrialists. And one of them was uh, a, a Buddhist. And he said, this work is the best way he's come across of teaching the principles of Buddhism to a younger generation who don't like meditating. And I'm going, wow, hold on. I'm, you know, I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not a yogi. I... All of us who spend our time really observing the way humans are, observing the way ourselves, observing our place in the natural world. Almost all of us come to similar sorts of places. Now, I mean, I'm not religious. I don't come from a religious you know, perspective. That's why I say self with us isn't a belief system. But we are dealing with the fundamental reality of being human in a complex world. It's the same stuff they were dealing with as they developed Buddhism four or five, you know, thousands of years ago. It's, it, it sounds like you're distilling down, whether it's your system or, or Buddhism or yogi, yogiism isn't right, but yoga or, or meditation, it's, it's you're, you're distilling down to the essentials of life. I'm trying to do so in a way that makes sense to me living in the 21st century. And so, yeah, it, it is simply that, that, you know, we live in really difficult times, you know, with all this industrialization, which is meant to have made life an awful lot simple. We live simpler. We live in terribly difficult times in terms of disease, in terms of mental health, in terms of the, looming environmental catastrophe it's not even looming it's unfolding around us all you know as we speak we live in hard times those spiritual truths or philosophical truths or call them what you want mm -hmm. some people will look at the old systems and go they still speak to me fantastic I'm simply trying to say I'm not making any great claims for what I'm doing I'm just saying I'm trying to talk the language of now about what i experience now in ways that other people now can <laughs> hear and act on because it's all about now now is the only time we have which is why presence is the the basis of everything and it is a distillation a distillation but it's also just another offer I, you know, it's not, it's, 
it's trying to find the way to talk to the people who are ready to learn now. Some, you know, some of them may not want to go to Buddhism. They may not want to go to yoga, whatever. Mm -hmm. I have huge respect for those systems. I have huge respect for indigenous knowledge systems. But also, I'm trying to talk about and serve people through what I've learned over the, the 30 years of my life without making any claims for it other than everything I say to the best of my knowledge is true. And experience has taught me that people found it, find it enormously empowering. It's just uh, a juxtaposition or conundrum of sorts that you're, you're, you, you did this work to help people make sense of today, but it's the, the bedrock principles of systems that through different processes, whether it was meditation, Buddhism, uh, yoga, or, uh, probably even Reiki, uh, they all come to the same, even though life is so much more complicated today than it was way back when it's the same basic principles that, that are what really matters. We're the same covered. basic, we're the same basic organism. Yeah. I mean, things have changed since industrialization. Things have changed since ancient Greece, but in evolutionary terms, humans haven't changed that much. We're still the same basic frightened life form trying to survive in a complex world. Yeah, things are complex, but they were complex when you were trying to hunt in the savanna 40,000 years ago, just differently complex. We're trying to survive. And, you know, one of my passions is to refuse to believe that we are so exceptional that we cannot learn from the past or we cannot learn from other species. All species all life forms thrive through competition within the framework of collaboration. Sure, animals compete, but they compete within collaborative frameworks and networks. Mm -hmm. Trees compete for the light, for the sunlight, but beneath the soil, they are also collaborative. Our Western, particularly, society has taught us to compete without limit and that's the way towards special and individual extinction i want to remind us this is my you know my biggest attempt to be of service to the world Yes, be unique. Yes, be exceptional. Yes, of course we compete with each other for things. Some, if somebody gets something, you might not get it and so on. But all of that happens within a network of collaboration. I only thrive if I can ultimately contribute to the thriving of all, not just human, all. And so... We're no different. 21st century humans, we're no different from 19th century humans, 16th century humans, or, or Neanderthals. Yeah, of course, we're a bit different, but we're all different from each other, too. 
there are fundamental truths and some places like yoga, you know, belief systems like yoga and, and Buddhism and so on, many indigenous wisdoms, they're dealing with that truth. And that truth is, how do you live? It's sort of pretty simple. It's pretty the truth we all face. How do we live? And if you're not living well because you are struggling with the feeling of emptiness or you are unable to connect with people or you don't have community or friends or whatever, if you're not living well, don't give up. Learn how to live better. Because we're humans. We have consciousness. We're intelligent. We can change. So it is ancient, but it's just what we've always been trying to do, find out how to live with each other. When you say, John, and, and yeah, I totally agree with you on that. In the end, we are all human beings. And in that sense, also the same. When you look back, on your work you have done in the past, working more with artists and performers, and now you work with extraordinary, ordinary people, mm -hmm. yeah, non-performers. <laughs> is, is, do you experience or observe differences? Or is it also coming to that same basis of being a human in the end. What a performer has to do is be really, really human in a way that allows her or him to sort of become representative humanity. They, they move in ways that go, wow, that's how humans can move. Or they play characters in, in drama where you go, that's like someone who is not just this person in a pub, but they represent something else. Performers become more than human by being fully human. They become representatives of humanity. This is the ancient art of performance. And it's still the case. You go and see things. You watch circus performers and go, wow, look what a human can do. You laugh at a comedy and you go, they have just spoken about my life. They're not just talking about their life. They're talking about my life. Performers become representatives of humanity. How that translates to me into working with non-performers is that all of us, if we recognize and liberate our unique genius can become representative of more than we are. A great manager in a business isn't just making profit. They, she or he is helping the people who are working for them to fly, to feel liberated, to discover themselves. They are helping customers to access things that make those customers feel empowered and passionate and proud of how they've spent their money. A great teacher opens doors, doesn't just you know vomit information onto children. She or he opens doors to transformed ways of seeing the world. All of us have the capacity to become superhuman 
by liberating our humanity. Now, that's an actor's job, and that's what I learned to train people how to do. There is an absolute continuity between that and working with community activists, working with educators, business people, coaches. All of us are trying to say, how can I be a shining light that turns on a light in other people somehow? And so that's the continuity. The techniques differ. I mean, if I'm working with business people, I will use different language to if I'm working with, with community activists and different language to working with educators. The language differs. The fundamentals don't. The fundamentals are about be the genius that you are, which sounds all lovely and like a Facebook meme. It's not. It's damn hard work. It's disciplined, hard work to truly liberate your power. But do it because you will be lighting fires in those that you serve, whether through your businesses or the customers who come to you or whatever it is. Now, that's just a different way of talking about what an actor's job is. So that's the continuity for me. When did you, I, I'm wondering if you can remember like an event or the exact moment where in your early stages of your career life, you realized that what you're doing with, with this, uh, I know you didn't call it at that point, but what, what was it that made you realize this is important? This is your calling. I don't, I, I don't necessarily think that what I do is important. It's just what I do. It's important to me. I realized it was important to me. And then evidence told me it was important to other people because they told me so. I didn't suddenly go, I, what I do is important. I must give it to the world. I, I, I discovered that it meant a lot to me. And then increasingly people told me it meant a lot to them. I wrote a, my, the second book I wrote, which was Climbing the Mountain, which is a book very much for performers. People said this helped me through dealing with uh, an illness that my mother had. And I went, oh, okay, <laughs> wasn't my intention at all, but... You know, it delights me. Somebody else wrote to say, you know, my my father died, and I was lost. And your your book on on, you know, being present for actors, was the book I went back to every day to read because it really spoke to me. This was, I didn't have any sense of, uh, and I still don't have any sense of. I have a vision. I must give to the world. I have a sense that something, the things that I have done over 30 years are really important to me and I will just keep putting them out into the world and the people for whom they are important will find them. And it's a, it, that's a direct reflection of something I say to performers all the time. It, what you do, performers, what you do doesn't matter. Nobody cares if you play Hamlet. Nobody cares if you're an actor. 
doesn't make a damn bit of difference whether you play Hamlet or not, or whatever, unless you make it matter to yourself. You do it because it really matters to you. If you make your work matter to yourself, you will change the world, literally change the world. You will go onto the stage and you will play Hamlet and someone in that audience will be changed by that and that person will change their family and that family will change their community and that's how the world evolves. If you make it matter to yourself. Without that, nothing. So I never had a moment where I went, oh my God, I've been blessed with a vision. I must sell it to the world. I simply went through year after year of digging deeper and deeper into the work, getting more and more fascinated by the work and going, this matters to me. And it's not selfish. It's not that I'm saying, you know, I don't give a damn about anyone else. I was going, this is perhaps what my role is, my genius is. You know, I talk about people's unique genius. Maybe this one's mine. It matters to me, so I'll keep doing it. And if it didn't matter to anyone else, then I would be sitting in a, you know, a room talking to myself. <laughs> but as it is, it does matter to other people, some other people. And that's enough of an act of service. Talking about connection, Don, would you say that even though the world is technologically more connected than ever people have somehow lost the connection to themselves i think it's it's something that 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 is often suggested and i think it has a lot of truth to it it's maybe not as new as we think it is. It's easy to blame it on the internet. It may not be as new as we think it is. The great American theatre director, Joe Chaikin, back in the early 70s, I'll misquote him slightly, but he said something like, most Americans, and we could say most people, uh, live in their bodies like as if they were haunted, as if they were empty houses haunted by the memories of people who used to live there. It's an extraordinary phrase. Uh, most people live in their bodies as if in empty houses haunted by the memories of people who used to live there. That was way before the internet. And if you want to go back even further, the great founder of Western rational thought, René Descartes, described looking out of the window and feeling, I don't know whether people even exist. Those could be machines wearing coats out there for all I know. He, you know, the great founder of rational thought who was a very problematic thinker in many ways, uh, was in some ways saying that the, the logical extension of rational thought is that we lose touch with our humanity. So I think there is a significant problem with humans losing touch with themselves. It has been exacerbated by the internet but i don't think it's been caused by the internet i think the antidote as it's always been is to remember our animal nature 
and to use our senses to reconnect with the present moment. There's always been, you know, put down the phone and listen to the hubbub in the coffee bar, like you'd listen to a great piece of music. Smell that cup of coffee and taste it. Come into the present. Feel the palpitations in your chest. Choose to relax the tensions in your shoulders. All of these things that bring you back into your body in this moment. And, you know, maybe more importantly now than ever, look around and see the inherent dignity and right to life of all other life forms, human and non-human, not as something you have to compete about or compete with or dominate, but as things you share space with. I think that's the reconnection. I, I live. I, I moved a while ago to rural Ireland, and um, I, I live in a pretty wild place. There's a few people around, but not very many. And you know, I'm not. I'm not using a metaphor or trying to make a spiritual statement here. I learn from listening to the birds. I learn from watching how the sea, because the ocean's just five minutes walk up the road. I learn from watching how the waves hit the shore and the seagulls fly, fly over or float on the waves. I learn how to be human by putting myself in direct connected relationship with the human and non-human world. So, yes, we are terribly disconnected. I don't think it's because of the internet or whatever. I think it's because we've forgotten how to be human. There's a beautiful book by Melanie Challenger called something like How to Be Animal, uh, reminding humans about their animal nature. Beautiful, beautiful book. It should be must a must read for anyone who, who cares about these things. It's very beautifully written. Um, I also think, and this is, I suppose, my politics, as a species, we don't have a hope unless we learn, relearn how to be human. Because I think we will madly, insanely continue this utter destruction of the planet that we live on. We won't kill the Earth. The Earth will be fine. It's a complex system which will regenerate. But we might well eradicate humans' ability to survive here. So I, I think there... I, but I, I'm not a politician and I'm, I'm not a spiritual leader. I, I don't get to make those statements, but that's the driving force for me. I would like, you know, I love what humans have created over millennia. I would like it to still be around in a few more millennia. Now we've got big picture thinking. <laughs> me too. I, I'd like to see uh, the earth, the, well, the, like you said, the earth will survive. I would like to see the human race not just survive, but actually start to actually thrive in, in meaningful ways, mm. not gross domestic product comparisons. Mm. Um, I've, I've kind of developed like for my own personal relationship to the world. Um, it's, it's been, it's, it's been a tough go over the years with, with mental health challenges, uh, depressions, uh, one 
really dark episode of suicidality, if you want to call it that, um, and, and worked my way back. And one of the things that's helped me, and and the reason I, I mention this because I want I kind of want you to to hear it out and see how it compares to your is it eight or eleven principles of presence? Eight, eight principles. Eight, eight, eight principles of presence. Um, through through my science um, background, through years of university and and uh, all that, one of the things that we can't escape is if you get a fine enough view, if you get a powerful enough microscope, it all boils back down to the probability of energy particles being in certain spots. You look at your hand close enough with a microscope, it's just nothing but a field of energy with occasional electron here. There are neutrinos or quarks or whatever they've figured out at this point, uh, the smallest particles are. And it just, it just kind of made me realize that our experience, or at least my experience, I'll just speak for me, my, my experience here is an interaction of energy. And I'm using one form of energy right now to communicate with two other energy beings on this planet, which is also just another sea of energy. Like, like we're just using representative forms of energy, whether it's the microphone, whether it's the, the video camera and my Starlink dish. We're using Elon, by the way, today. Uh, uh, all, all these things are, are just different forms of energy interacting. And it, and it really helped me not be afraid of things like death mm. or living or failing or making a mistake or, or, or even possibly succeeding at some point in life to the point where I might be noticed and actually have to come out of my shell a bit more like re re making peace with the fact that I'm just another bit of, I'm just another bundle of energy in this massive sea of energy. How, how does that play or does it contradict anything in your principles? Does it, does it magnify any of them or? It, it doesn't, it doesn't contradict anything because what you say is on, is, is verifiably true uh if what you said contradicted anything in my principles then my principles would clearly be false because what you're saying is clearly true we, we but you're talking at a certain level of reality which i completely get offered you a way to step out from the level of personal pain and to step back and get a, you know, a more universal, less ego-centered perspective. Mm -hmm. um, that makes a great deal of sense to be able to get to separate from the pain of immediate experience and put it into a bigger perspective. I tend not to go in my thinking towards that, that sort of subnuclear level or subparticle, you know, particle physics level, whatever. Although I'm, it's, it's undoubtedly true and endlessly fascinating. My stepping out tends to be more about saying I am an animal among billions of other humans and billions and billions of other animals. So I tend to go to that level 
rather than to the the level of energy as a way of separating myself out from you know the struggle with with my own ego at times and i you know i too have i burnt out some years ago and i've i've been went through some very 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 dark months and or a year or so and sitting in a forest and looking at birds enabled me to understand how unimportant i was but equally how fundamentally important i was because you know that bird sitting on the branch singing you know it doesn't matter it'll die sometime but as it sat there singing it gave me immense joy so it was very important. So I think we find the level we go to that enables us to take a distance from the overwhelming um, nature of reality. Now, the principles of presence are fundamentally about developing, you know, sort of a level of a certain kind of mindfulness, a mental discipline, which is, the ability to observe and make choices about your your <coughs> focus and attention in some ways they talk about exactly what you were talking about because i would suggest that attention which is a building block of all human experience attention is a form of energy mm -hmm. so well, I work very clearly on the relationship between awareness and attention and on structuring attention. I'm probably giving different names to the way that different forms of energy come into different structures to make different life forms or whatever. So all of these perspectives can coexist as long as they are true now you know where i don't go is why i said before about it, it's not a belief system i don't want to work with people where to understand what i'm saying or to benefit from what i'm saying they have to accept some beliefs i want to work with people to say what i'm saying is to the best of my knowledge entirely true and what you do with that truth is up to you so, you know, if I were religious, which I'm not, but if I were, I might take your conversation about energy and rename that energy God. I might say everything, God is in everything, God is everywhere, we are all different manifestations manifestations of the, of the being of God, which is one of the Christian perspectives on things. Now, I don't go there because I don't believe in God, but, you know, I'm just renaming a layer of reality what you're naming is actually a layer of reality and for me if it serves you as the layer to go and look from if it's serving you do it oh, bearing in mind that you can also choose a different layer I, I i i learned from nature for some people their level of reality what takes them out of their ego is just their own kids go i will do this for them or yeah. you know an ideology it doesn't matter what is it that allows you to understand that you are fundamentally relational you exist in relationship with 
all the things that is not you. I was wondering if you would be, a, not be able, obviously be able to, but would you be willing to uh, share those eight principles and like a little like Reader's Digest snippet? Obviously, people need to get the book to fully understand what what these principles mean and how they can work with them. But yeah, I've, I've got the I've got I know the principles. Um, I, they're sort of a, a proviso. The principles are incredibly simple. But when heard out of context, they frequently seem not to make sense. So I'll give you the eight principles. And I'm not just trying to sell a book, but the... the, the but I am. I, I, <laughs> I want you to have some benefit from helping us. The, principle, the principles are counterintuitive. And often people go, that's nonsense. But there are actually reasons why the principles exist. I'm currently working at the moment on training people through the principles of presence who aren't performers. So it's uppermost in my head at the moment how they interconnect. But the eight principles anyway. Um, one, don't be helpful. That immediately makes people confused. Yeah. Uh, two, right here, right now, you're good enough. People think that's a Facebook meme. It's not. It's the toughest principle of all. Um, three, pay attention to things you can do something about. Four, have no opinion. Five, know your hierarchy of tasks. Six, in chaos, seek flow. Seven, when there's nothing for you to do, do nothing. And eight, pursue pleasure. Every one of those works at multiple, multiple of levels from tiny structuring of moments of attention through to life choices. And every one of them is significantly more complex actually to live with than they sound that's the point of them they're intended to be little simple things that you go oh yeah that's easy and then when you actually start trying to live with them you go oh my god what am i doing with my mind <laughs> where can i buy the book john um presence is available on amazon i i published it through amazon you if you go to you get in contact with me or go to my website you can buy it direct from me but you could the easiest thing is to get it directly either kindle or or hard copy from amazon because uh, I, I i decided not to print loads of copies because then you end up with you know wasted resources and so on so it's print on but demand by amazon which means it usually takes about a week to deliver or something but um it's seen the easiest way of doing it much as i don't really like integrating with mega corps but um yeah amazon in just about any country in the world has it excellent how can people stay in touch with you or follow your work and and or if they want to actually reach out to you for coaching on these principles for example uh my website is john britain which is i see my name is well, where's the camera my name is there so uh John Britton, J-O-H-M-B-R-I-T-T-O-N, at, so no, my website is www.johnbritton.co, and my email is john at johnbritton.co. So okay. anyone wants to write to me, be in contact with me, uh, 
talk to me about what I've been chatting about here um, or about working with me in some way, I always answer messages. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. I'm usually lurking away in the shadows there. Um, so please feel free to get in touch with me. Well, we're definitely at the hour mark, so uh, we'll be wrapping today up momentarily. But uh, I have a feeling we might need to have you on in a subsequent episode to uh, do some deeper dives on these principles. Yeah, I think it was it was a little scratch on the surface here. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there, and we never got around to talking about psychophysicality, which is where you and you and me first started our conversation some time back. We didn't even talk about the integration of body and mind and the holistic understanding of how the human system works. Lord, we've got so much we could talk about. Yes, we do, and it's it's funny how we didn't even like broach that subject, uh, but. Uh, yeah, well, Next we're uh, we're a new podcast, and we're we're having fun uh, uh, doing these interviews, and uh, uh, we we've basically set up. Uh, Bridget and I were, were when we decided to do this project. We said we're going to do twelve episodes, and see where we're at, and see if we're still having fun, because that's <laughs> that's that's the number one thing is. You know, if, if we're not having fun doing this, if our guests aren't having fun talking to us, then uh, we don't want to do it. But Well, I've been having a lot of fun and I'm very grateful for you giving me space to just talk and talk and talk. <laughs> <laughs> in that sense, we applied the eighth princi principle, I think. Pursued right? pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, it's always a good one. Also, one that's much tougher than it sounds like. Yeah. People always think I'm saying have fun. Mm, it's not it's not about having fun <laughs> they can be similar but they can be very different too so yeah. and in that principle it's pursue that's more important than pleasure it's the active searching for justification motivation that actually brings you present not the having fun so but that's another conversation yes Wait. yes um any any final word of wisdom for people that have made it this far into our episode? Everything you have, you need. You were born with it. There may be some technical skills you don't know, how things you don't know how to do, technical skills you don't have. You can learn those. The fundamentals you need to be a unique, extraordinary human you were born with. Give yourself permission to be that human because frankly the world needs extraordinary humans what do you think bridget is that the perfect place to end this episode i think so nothing to add all right thank you so much bridget thank you so much john thank you bridget thank, thank you, you john so i truly enjoyed this conversation really nice Bye. all right until next time people take care see you soon